Take your Bibles with me, and we're going to go to the book of Luke. Luke 23, if you'll turn there with me. Luke 23, and let me give you the setting as in just a moment I'm going to read verse 42. Jesus is there on the cross. He's the man in the middle. On his left and right are, are thieves, men that have lived their life in such a way that their dreams are dashed through their own poor choices and they are being put to death for their criminal activity. While the man in the middle, the sinless son of God, is there for a whole different purpose. And so we hear the one thief who defies God even in his dying. But yet this other thief, hear his words. Luke 23, verse 42. Then he said... Jesus, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. We know that when we read the scripture that we can just go as deep in the stream of God's truth as we want to go. It has a depth, and as the word marinates in our hearts, the light and inspiration continues to explode in our thinking. As I have looked at this word, remember, I see it as much more than just that thief saying, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, don't forget me. Not seeing the word remember as defined as to recall, but taking this word and tracking all the way back to the beginning and wondering if perhaps There's yet another message in that word. Was the thief having it all come together at that moment? Seeing that Jesus was the Christ and yet he comes from the carpenter's home. Was that thief even in that last hour wondering... Is there someone who can remember me? Is there someone, perhaps you, Jesus, could you put me back together? When you go to the book of Genesis, you'll see in the fall of man that Adam and Eve, they were dismembered from fellowship. When I began to study this word, remember, it took me back to the beginning and the opposite, which was to dismember, to separate They were ejected from the garden in their fallen nature, no longer in fellowship with God. All of us conceived, born in iniquity, in that position and needing to be remembered, reinstated. But beyond that, a life that needs to be rebuilt. Could it be that the thief was wondering if Jesus could even Take him. Lord, I pray today that this word remember will forever be seen differently as we contemplate its power through your shed blood and the authority of the blood. With your eyes closed, would you listen to these words? Remember me, put me back together, 
hold me close forever, Lord. Remember me. Tell me that you love me, and I'll always be where you lead. Oh, remember. See, I, I want there to be power to change the life of Katie. Katie was abused, molested as a child, raped as a teenager, and now her mind is filled with accusatory voices. She deals with night terror, suicidal tendencies, deep depression. She's tormented. Do we just give her a junk drawer diagnosis and try to prescribe medicine? Or is there a power that can put her back together? Can Katie be remembered emotionally? Colossians, if you'll see this important word, it's on the screen for you. Chapter 2 Verse 13 says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. Now here's an important part. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. What does that tell us today? That tells us that for Katie, there's hope through the victory of the cross. That Jesus paid a certain price, and that price canceled the debt of our sin, but he went on to disarm principalities and powers. Now in this this modern pop culture of spirituality, it tends to deny the existence of Satan. The Bible clearly teaches us that Satan is real. That Satan, according to Revelation, is the accuser. He's the one that's going to bring up your past. He's going to remind you of what you did the, the satanic shame is real. You know, perhaps it's more than just negative self-talk going on in someone's mind. Maybe it's the, the negative, dark, twisted thoughts being fed by Satan himself, the destroyer of our souls. Satan is real. And so what Katie needs and all of those like her, they need the, the Christus victor. They need the victory of the cross where Jesus died and rose again and disarmed the powers of darkness where he triumphed over them by the cross. It it borrows the analogy from antiquity when two kings would collide and 
the conquering king would take all of the soldiers and disarm them, chain them together, and then chain them to his chariot. Then he would take the conquered king and strip him of his dignity. And in that utter humiliation, the conquered king and his powers, his enemy forces, would be paraded through the city that would now be liberated to their future because their foe has been defeated. They would celebrate the victory of their king and they would experience the release from the oppressive efforts of the enemy. God borrowed that through the writer Paul to show us that at the cross, Jesus conquered Satan. Satan's authority was lost when Jesus shed his blood, died, and rose again. And no matter how broken your heart, how twisted your emotions, how messed up your life, there is victory through the power of the cross. Hallelujah. What about Thomas? He has a great smile, great disposition. He's a successful businessman, but he's addicted to porn, unfaithful to his wife. He is an illusion of a man that does not exist. He, he comes across as very confident and even caring. But in reality, he's addicted and he's broken. What about Thomas? Do we write him off? Do we just declare that it's hopeless? Does his family continue to dysfunction, end up in divorce court, and they go their separate ways and then deal with the fallout of his moral earthquake? Or could we invite Thomas to the cross? And could he find that through the cross, there's not only victory, but he could find redemption? Notice these words in Titus chapter 2, starting at verse 13. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem. Would you say that word with me? Redeem, to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are for his very own, eager to do what is good. See, right now, Thomas is not eager to do what is good. Why? Because he's a slave. He's addicted. If willpower was enough to help him transform, he would already be changed. He has to have a power that's greater than his own power. Is there a prescription? Is there an answer? Is there a remedy? And I would suggest that there is, and it comes through the power of redemption. Now, sometimes when we hear the word redemption, we are taken to the auction block and there's a price paid. and That, that's, that has its place. But in this word, redemption... Paul will always take us back to the Exodus. 
And at the Exodus, God's people were held in slavery, ruled over and dominated by Pharaoh, the taskmaster. And so God sent Moses. Moses went in and through the power of the I am, he led God's people. He reclaimed God's people. He he brought them out of slavery. And when they come through the Red Sea, they start a worship service celebrating their redemption, that they've been set free. What I would suggest to people like Thomas is that you humble yourself and allow the authority of the blood of Jesus to bring a redemption to the core of who you are. I'm saying God can set you free. There's such rampant addiction and the church has to step up and give a message to the addictive society in which we live. I bring before you the power of the cross. God, through his son Jesus, can set you free. You can leave this place changed, set free. What do I mean by free? Free to laugh, free to cry, free to run, free to dance, free to be who God created you to be no longer a slave, no longer having to answer to to the binge, no longer having to respond to that voice that leads you in deeper and deeper and you come back with less of yourself. Come on to the cross and let the redeeming power of the blood of Jesus Christ save you and set you free. We boast today in the cross, the power of the cross. But, but Bill has a little different situation. Bill, as a little boy, was punched in the face by his dad, and his dad would just laugh. He was a sadistic man, but not only that, he abandoned Bill. So Bill not only had an abusive father, but a phantom father. His mom was out of the picture, and Bill is now an adult with this orphaned heart. So for Katie, there is the power of the cross, the victory of the cross. For Thomas, there's redemption. But for Bill, there's adoption. Adoption. You know, when you are adopted, it changes your status. I have two nieces that were adopted from Guatemala. They both were once property of the state. When my brother and his wife adopted them, it changed their status. And they became members of a family. The power of adoption is to change your status. If you have any awareness of the social network called Facebook, you all know that you are constantly updating your status. It continues to change as your life evolves. When a person like Bill comes to the cross and receives the grace and the power of God's love, it changes the status. Let me give you Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 8. Notice these words. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law. 
to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Now notice these words. So you are no longer a slave. Notice the the change of status. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. It just gets better. Formally, formally, the old status, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not God's. But when I'm adopted through the power of the blood of Jesus, it changes my status. Now, now how, how would that happen? Well, the one who's doing the adopting has to come at the right time. You, you can't just adopt a child at any time you decide. You have to come at the right time, especially if you're adopting children from other countries. They have to be away from their biological family for a certain amount of time. They then have to be in an orphanage for a certain period of time. So you can't come just at any time. You have to come at the right time time. Jesus came at the right time. Not only is it right timing, but it's right qualifications. It takes a lot of of effort. You have to jump through a lot of hoops in order to adopt. They come and do a house study. They put you through physical exams. You will even hear those who adopt say, it seems like we have to be perfect. The right qualifications our requirement for adoption. And so think of the qualifications on the Son of God. You see, to, to meet the qualifications, he has to come from God and yet be born of a woman. He has to satisfy all of the glory of God and yet at the same time be subject to the law, yet without sin. When Jesus comes to the cross, the culmination of his sinless life that's pointed to by tens of thousands of sacrifices that could only cover your sin in the Old Testament. Now culminating with the Messiah, the Lamb of God, the high priest who became the sacrifice. There at Calvary, there is so much that is happening. There is victory occurring. Redemption will be offered. And also Adoption because he is satisfying the qualifications of God. Not only the right qualifications, but the right resolve. Three times in Galatians 4, 4 through 8, you see that God planned it. God sent his son. He was resolute in his purpose to make a way. God stood up and said, I will not abandon my people. See, in... Guatemala, when you're abandoned at birth, they take you to what's called a baby house. And everyone in the house is there because no one wanted them. Abandoned. So in this facet of the cross, God is saying, I will not abandon you. When Jesus went through the suffering 
in Pilate's hall of judgment and then was nailed to the cross, you are seeing him enduring because he refused to abandon us. He was willing to suffer. He was willing to give his life by crucifixion so that you and I could be adopted. We would no longer be alienated, orphans, but we would be brought into the family of God and become sons and daughters of God. And it doesn't stop there. We become heirs of the Father and join heirs of the Son. It changes your entire future. Now, no one adopts without planning to adopt. God planned to adopt you over in Ephesians. He says, I'm going to bring you to myself through my son, so I'm going to adopt you. He planned to adopt us. He paid the price. You know, it costs a lot to adopt. It costs a lot emotionally. It costs a lot financially. But talk to anyone who's adopted. They would tell you they'd pay it all over again gladly for the blessing of their son, for the blessing of their daughter. Jesus willfully went to the cross. Jesus, no one forced him on the cross. He laid down his life. He gave his life so that you and I could be adopted into the family of God. He pursues us with his love. You see, at adoption, it's only the beginning when my niece Anna was adopted and she walked into her room for the first time. She looked around because this was the first time that she could call a place, this is my room. She was now part of the family. She wasn't a visitor. She was a family member and, and because she was in the home and because now she had the name, she had rights to everything in the home. She's now an heir. She has a new citizenship. Oh, what a picture explodes for us through the adoptive power of the cross. I wish you could meet her because the pursuit of that love, it begins to build your life, identify purpose, and spur you on to good works. All of these years later, Anna's... Uh, a college freshman on a full scholarship plays the flute with such excellence has been recognized for her talent and will travel into different countries this summer doing missions work through her music because she was adopted into a family but it didn't stop there. There was a nurturing love. There was a developmental love. There was a visionary love, an encouraging love that spurred her on to a life that's very different from being in the orphanage. I reach to every bill in this room. Your orphaned heart, your deep sense of loneliness can be addressed by the power of the cross. You wonder why you can't keep a relationship while they, they continue to dysfunction. You can't keep a job. 
You might deal with surface things, but until you go and deal with the emptiness of your soul, that somebody abandoned you and that left you broken on the inside, my friend, until you address that, you are not going to have a life that works. Why don't you come to the cross today and let the authority of the blood of Jesus heal your broken heart? For Katie, there is victory for Thomas. There's redemption, and for Bill, there's adoption. And it leads you on to a future, an inheritance, a full eternity, a life that you never would have imagined. This is what Paul's talking about in the love of God, that once you're rooted in the love of God, he will do infinitely more than you can ask or think immeasurably more abundantly above all that which you could even ask or think it's a result of the love of God 